Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hey everyone, Tara Williams here with the Mom Manual. I have not one, but two amazing guests for you. You are going to love this podcast today. I have Kelly Oriad and Kaylee Christensen. They are the co-founders and co-CEOs of Slumberkins. Beyond that, Kelly has her dual master's in marriage and family therapy, and Kaylee has a master's in teaching with endorsements in elementary and special education. The women launched Slumberkins in August of 2015, and they appeared on Shark Tank in 2017. I am so excited to have both of you on the podcast. Can you jump in and for anyone who doesn't know, tell us who Slumberkins is and what you're all about? Well, we are an emotional growth and wellness company focused on children and families. We make plush and books and content and, um, easy to use what we call tools for parents, empowering them to take the lead on their child's emotional growth and wellness. That comes in the form of really cute characters like a Bigfoot or a sloth that help teach about how to promote self-esteem or relaxation, mindfulness, gratitude. And we even have some characters that help in really hard times like things like grief and loss or conflict resolution. So the whole gamut of emotional health and wellness. Coming out of the last two years with COVID, it's so timely, but you launched several years before that. How did you guys think of this concept or this idea would be important to parents and kids? I'm a former special education teacher. Kelly was a school counselor, but also a marriage and family therapist. And we've been best friends since we were 14 and ended up serendipitously on a maternity leave together back in 2015 with our now six-year-old boys. And both of us were working in the therapeutic realms within the schools. And so we were always kind of talking about the different strategies or tools that we would use with our students. And then we also had this moment of being really inspired by our new babies and had this kind of aha moment of, you know, emotional wellness actually starts at birth and putting some tools into the parents' hands before a child gets to school was where the concept started. You're talking about it. You have kids. When is the idea that let's start a business and have it be centered around the Slumberkins? Funny. Now we look back on it and say, I don't know how this happened (laughs) because it was on a maternity leave. We serendipitously ended up on a maternity leave together. We were talking about the difficulties we were seeing in schools and with education. And so we thought, okay, well, we're on leave right now. Why don't we start a little project. Let's see if we can do something. Why not us? So we taught ourselves to sew. And this was completely like mom made side hustle for Kaylee and I, our big, you know, end of the maternity leave. We went to a craft fair down the road from my house at the end of maternity leave for like a Christmas 
bizarre and, you know, sold out of Slumberkins. I think we had named ourselves Spoon and Moon because Kaylee's maiden name was Spooner and my husband calls me Luna. So like moon in Spanish. And so we, we made this little like baby shop and we had made some Slumberkins and we also had made like decor and nursing scarves and just had these big ideas of trying to do something on maternity like, like that. And it was actually the Slumberkins that resonated most with people. And so we were like, oh, this is fun. Let's keep it going and kind of started an Etsy shop and got on social media and really started forming community and having conversations with other moms. So it was really the community and other moms that, you know, helped us focus on Slumberkins and and keep it going. Even when we went back to the schools after our maternity leave, (laughs) I think we could do an entire podcast on just your business and it's so, it's such a unique scenario being friends since you were 14 years old and now you're co-founders. And if you guys don't know Slumberkins, they are really, really big. We were just talking about fundraising before we got on the call and these women are crushing it. So no more a side hustle. These are two CEOs for sure. Let's jump in today. What are you going to educate our listeners about? When we think about motherhood and the struggles and the pressure that we all face, we all want to do better for our children than maybe what we experience, especially in the world of the emotional realm and emotional wellness. You know, I think our generation, we grew up where our parents just didn't have the emotional fluency to even know how to support us. And so I think that's what we just want to focus on. We always say that the books in the business are really kind of the vitamins, the lessons, the tools for parents, and then the plush, like the cute characters are kind of like the eye candy for kids and it draws them in. But really what it is, is a a whole experience that, you know, Kelly as a therapist wrote the storylines and infused different interventions within each storyline to really create these meaningful moments of interaction where every book ends in a positive affirmation that is repeated uh, back and forth between the parent and child. And that's really like the magical moment that the brand, I think the experience of Slumberkins and why we've been able to build what we have been able to build because of creating those moments for families. I'm a huge fan. I'm like fangirling right now. So this is actually kind of embarrassing, but I'm a huge fan of the brand and what they're doing. And I have given Slumberkins for tons of gifts. Amazing. Even like baby showers, which seems probably too early. That's who I've been giving it to and first and second year birthdays and then older kids as well. But I bought it for my son first when he was probably, this was maybe three years ago, two years ago, maybe. So he was five. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you know, my three older kids are super close all a year apart. And so he oftentimes gets overshadowed by his sisters. So for him, I mean, it's funny that you say it's self-esteem as a mom. That's why I bought it. Right. Cause I felt like he was getting overshadowed, but for him, he would say it's his bravery book. So coming from the lens of the Bible, but I love it's positive affirmations in there. And it was such a like a beautiful bonding moment. I have four kids. I'm super busy and it's hard to give them individual time. And he'd say, mom, let's read our Bigfoot book. And so it was just this, and they're short and they're quick and they're easy. And I, I love what you guys are doing. You guys actually have four takeaways for us. Usually we only get three. So this is a, a bonus episode, everyone. Do you want to jump into the first takeaway for listeners? Yes. So emotional wellness starts early. It really starts with the parent and child connection. So even when you are pregnant or you're getting ready to have a child, focusing on yourself and your own emotional wellness is so important. And as 
you have a child, like for anyone having new children, this was the big surprise for me, even as a therapist, I knew all of the reasons and things that I needed to do with my kids when I had them. But once I had my kids, I realized, oof, there's a difference between knowing what you need to do or um, having a roadmap and actually implementing that roadmap because we are so overwhelmed and triggered and pushed to our limits once we have children. And so this is really why we created Slumberkins to really be that support for parents along that journey. And you can really start from birth, (laughs) focusing on these things. And, you know, a parent's emotional health and wellness is not separate from their child's because your child is so tuned into you from the very, very get-go. That's brain science. That's how it's supposed to be. And so you are really intertwined, especially in these early years from like zero to seven, eight. Ooh, that's deep. And I'm in it right now with uh, kids that are four, seven, eight, and nine. This is a theme that is on our podcast and probably any other podcast anyone is listening to over and over and over. And you touched on it at the beginning that our parents didn't have the same education, awareness. I'm not sure what they, social media, what they didn't have, but I'm 35. And so I think for these adults now, maybe between 25 and 45, this is a new concept, right? So this is something that we are trying to teach our kids. And we hear so often about women, especially how their cup is filled or empty. And if you're not filling your own cup, you have nothing to pour out and give to others. And you too probably know as well as anyone else, but me as a founder, I mean, it is so incredibly stressful. And there's so many times where my kids come into my office and I'm like, you need to get out for 10 more minutes. Right. And just to have a tool like this book where you can sit down with them and reconnect. I can't say enough how much I love this. No, it's so important. I mean, our next takeaway, our next uh, thing is the power of positive affirmations. They really are transformative in so many people's lives. And I think it's affirmations have become kind of mainstay in adult emotional wellness and starting young with kids of implanting those seeds of emotional well-being at the earliest of ages, as they're learning to speak, you know, you have the Bigfoot book and the affirmation from there is I am kind. I am strong. I am brave and unique. The world is better because I am here. And I like me hearing a two-year-old start to say those words where the more they say them out loud, the more they implant and the more they believe that. And we know that as people age and grow, it's different situations that can cause them to kind of lose their way in, in who they are or, or form up different beliefs about themselves. But if they have that that solid foundation of the power of affirmations from an early age, it's a place that they can always kind of come back to. I know for myself, you know, Bigfoot story is actually inspired by my own experience being a six foot tall sixth grader. And, you know, there were a lot of kids that, you know, didn't mean to say anything rude or like call out like how tall I was constantly, but it really weighed on me as a child. And so my mom actually used to do positive affirmations with me. And it was something that throughout my life, I constantly went back to and leaned on as a child. I I love that so much. And I can't tell because you're sitting down, but you don't look that tall. Oh yeah. (laughs) Now I'm six two. (laughs) We're actually both really tall. Kelly's six feet and I'm six two, but Bigfoot's my favorite character because of the the personal (laughs) tie-in. Yeah. And you're like, I have a Bigfoot. Um, My mom actually, she's 5'10 and same thing in sixth grade. She was 5'10 in sixth grade. And so I definitely heard some of her stories. I can relate to that a little bit. Can you tell me how doing 
positive affirmations and saying things like the world is better because I am here. I like me is different than your mom or dad or a caregiver saying everyone likes you. I like you. How is that different hearing it from yourself? Yeah, this is where we, we really thought deeply about how we constructed the books and wanted to create these meaningful moments between parent and child and look at how we are promoting the attachment connection between caregiver and child and making the deepest impact. Because when you tell somebody something, especially if they're having a different experience. So let's say in the case of you were made fun of at school and your child is coming home and saying like, everybody is making fun of me. Everybody calls me the the stinky kid or something. I'm going from my own personal experience now with my son who had uh, some potty training difficulties in preschool. Um, But so it's heartbreaking, right? And as a parent, you, your heart breaks and you say, no, no, that's not true. And that first reaction is because we love our kids and we want to protect them. And I think that was the exact same that our parents wanted to do. Right. But in doing that and immediately negating or saying, no, that's not true. We're skipping over the part where we align with them and we welcome their feelings. We say, oh, that's really hard. And that hurts so that they feel heard and seen for what they are saying and bringing to the table. And a lot of times the reason going to go into the deep therapy stuff here, but like a lot of times the reason that we as adults do that is because we have pain and hurt and memories about how that happened to us. And we want so desperately for that not to happen to our children. And so in trying to protect them, we actually kind of create the same experience over again. And so when you do the affirmations in the way that we've set up in the books, you're also saying for yourself, (laughs) the things that you want your child to say. So you're modeling it. And it's really powerful for the child to hear you say, I am kind, I am strong. And then they say it. I am kind, I am strong. So you're both saying these really powerful things about yourself and you're also welcoming their feelings without you know, blocking what they're feeling at the same time. That is really, really deep. And every time I have one of these conversations, I always say, I am going to leave this call and I'm gonna sign up with a counselor to unpack my own childhood stuff. And I think I'm really gonna do it this time because I have been thinking about it a lot lately. So there's, as an adult even, There's so much you can learn from this. As you're talking through, is there a certain age demographic that the Slumberkins are geared to, or is it really anybody? You know, we have a big community of adults that buy Slumberkins for themselves too, because like Kelly said, they're healing words of affirmation that we all needed as kids too, that, you know, emotional wellness can really start at any age. So the, the stories and the books are really written for like two to eight ish, you know, it's, it's never too early to start in those baby years of when they're born. I mean, people read to their children all the time and we're always a big fan of just speaking positive words before they're even two, but the storylines from the interactive piece and the content infused is usually preschool through second grade. I would say also just to add in, you know, just since you, you brought up processing your own childhood stuff and how it's really hard. And I am a typical example of this. Like the reason we created Slumberkins, the reason there's so much depth in this is because I have pain and trauma and things that happened in my childhood. And I needed and wanted these things for myself and needed them for my kids too. But one thing that I think it can be really helpful and hopeful for people is that 
the number one predictor of whether you'll have a secure attachment with your child, right? Like be able to show up for them in a way that helps them have positive understanding of themselves and be able to navigate the world really well and, and have that emotional wellness space is the adult, the parents meaning that they have made of their life story. And so you could have gone through difficult things and had really a hard life. But if you, if you've made meaning of that, if you've looked through it and understand how it's affected you and you're showing up in a conscious way with your kids, you break the cycle. (laughs) So, uh, it's, it's really empowering. And we always tell the parents and adults like, yes, do that work. And it is work. It's not fun (laughs) going back to those pains because you, you push them down, you, you push them away. Um, your kids are going to bring them up in you again through this time period. And if you can hold space for that and approach it differently than you experienced it, then you're, you're breaking the cycle and you're changing it for your kids. So Kelly, for listeners, I think it's pretty clear if you have gone through something like your parents were an alcoholic, right? Like breaking that cycle. But for someone who hasn't had something super traumatic, more, let's say average traumas. Someone's calling me too tall in sixth grade and that hurts their feelings. For me, actually, it's, it's very funny. I did not go through puberty until high school, like super, super late. So I had like a little boy body really. And I remember there was one kid who I was friends with and he only said it to me one time. And he was like, Oh, cause you're so flat. Right. And I was like, what the heck? And I didn't even think about it until he said it. And then I was so self-conscious of that for probably five years. And it wasn't like I was constantly teased. It was one comment from a kid that I was friends with that I don't even think he meant to hurt my feelings. Like, I think he was just teasing me. And I did have three of my best friends we're very like double D boobs in sixth grade, right? So very well endowed. And it just stuck with me for like years and years and years. And it's so silly because it wasn't this traumatic, everybody's making, it was literally one comment one time from somebody that was friends with me. So that is what I would call an average trauma, right? Not a huge deal, probably TMI, but what (laughs) someone who's listening, that's like, well, how do you process that? What does that even mean? Like what, what do I do with that? And how does that come back up with, to my son who's five years old? Yeah, such a good question. And I'm so excited to, to support and give some like context around like where kids' brains are at different points. And so across from like that zero to seven, it's really like kids don't even really have an inner voice at that time. So we kind of forget that as adults, we all have like this inner voice that's telling us to, oh, remember to do this and making meaning of things that are happening in our lives and telling us stories. It's just become something that we all kind of understand and know as you get older. But from that like zero to seven, eight, it's, that's not happening. They're much more in the moment they're much more concrete. And basically the experiences that are happening in that time frame are what are forming up what will become that inner voice. Mm-hmm. And you as a parent are having a huge impact on that, the way that you speak to yourself, the way that you interact with them. And by the way, you don't have to be perfect. <laughs> uh, there is no perfect. It's more about making mistakes, being open to repair, having this like flexibility within that time frame. And then when you get into that little bit older time frame where, where you're talking about, it's really interesting because I think there's a lot of those normal traumas that go on for people. And it actually 
on a biological level makes sense that it was so impactful because at that time, basically kids' brains change from having their parent as the main attachment figure and important voice in their life. And biologically it's, it shifts in the preteen years to teenage years where they are then focused on outside groups and they have that same attachment, which means belonging in a group with somebody, with their peers, with their friends, what their friends say becomes as impactful to their sense of self. And it feels like survival (laughs) in those situations. And so it's not uncommon that we would have really impactful, hard moments that are relational in those age groups. And honestly, like as an adult, when you look back on those situations, whether it was in the earlier years, and a lot of us have a lot of things in those preteen and teen years, because again, kids don't understand that that's what's happening. We have meaning to make of that and to go back. And as adults who are now parents, right? Like coming back to those moments and knowing what you know now, right? Like holding those parts of yourself and going back is, is really important to, to do or to make meaning of that for yourself. Because as an adult, I can look back and think, number one, this is a friend. Number two, they were teasing, not trying to hurt me. And number three, why would I even care? <laughs> you know, but in the yeah. moment, it just, it, it wasn't even something I was actually aware of until it was. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I look way different. Um, okay. Do you want to bring us into the next takeaway? Yes. Well, to summarize, I kind of got into it a little bit, but the fourth point is really the importance of helping your children welcome all of their feelings and making space for that. Right. I think a lot of times the way that we have been brought up and because of those, you know, moments and little memories and traumas and different things that we've experienced we try to avoid, try to push away from certain feelings, certain experiences. And especially when our kids are feeling them, it feels like very natural as a parent to want to protect them or say, no, 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 that's not true. Right. And really taking a breath and knowing that your job is to welcome those feelings, to empathize with them. It's not your job to fix their feelings. It's a jo- your job to welcome them and sit with them and show that you can handle it, whatever feeling comes up and can accept that in them so that they take that on. And then in later in life can handle and accept and hold all of their feelings. In listening to, I'm like processing, thinking about each of my four kids and I have two kids that their names start with B and then two that start with L And so Lydia and Luke are my very big emotional children. They have very strong, high, happy emotions and very, you know, the, if we can't find Luke's pacifier at night, I mean, he literally, he's, he's turning four. So we're like the pacifier needs to go, but he will throw his body to the ground as if he's been shot by a gun and will wail and wail. And I'm like, it's just the pacifier. We're going to find it. Don't worry. And then the second he gets it, he is up on his feet. He is smiling and it's a thank you. So big, big emotions. And as a parent, I will say, my daughter Lydia comes into my office so many times every day crying. Somebody said this, somebody did that, somebody hurt her. And I just, I'm like, oh, Lydia, I don't even know what to say. And I've started, this is, this is definitely the wrong way to handle it. But I've started telling her, I told her the story of the boy who cried wolf. And I said, listen, Lydia, 
you, you are crying so many times each day that I don't know when you're really hurt or when something is really making you sad. So you need to reserve these emotions for when they really matter. I don't think that's helping her, but for, for the parents like me that have these overly emotional kids, how do you deal with that? Help. I have a child, Cora, who's similar and Kelly, I can share the personal experience and then Kelly can give the therapeutic uh, <laughs> input. I recent I went through a divorce in 2020 and it, to this day, my daughter will come. And I mean, it's just, she'll say really hard things like mom, my heart feels broken. And in that moment, like, I just want to be like, it's fine. You're okay. Like, let's put on a happy song. I'm so sorry. I know, you know, like, I just want to like fix it and like take away the pain that she's experiencing by having like going through a divorce and wanting her parents to live in the same house, but they don't. And I have learned through coaching with Kelly to just say, lean in and don't try to fix and just say, of course you're sad. It's really hard because especially if you're as a parent, you have to kind of hold that space and like lean into the sadness, which can be tough and then just give it a moment. And then it diffuses it. It's actually crazy that it works so well. Yeah. It's so hard. I think as parents to see these big emotions, but I think the, the main thing that we can do is first notice what it's triggering in us. And I, again, like the difference between knowing what you should do and actually doing it or, or being in that moment are often so different, right? Like even for me, I can say, you know, let's welcome all feelings. My child is on the the floor. He's trying to bite me. He's going nuts. Right. And inside my voice, my internal voice in my brain is like, shut it down, quiet. Like you're being crazy. Like I'm hearing all of the things that like are telling me my unconscious reaction is to like, stop it. You have to stop. And like, right. So I'm just working on noticing that for myself and trying to lean into the framework of saying, you know, I'm here. I, you know, you, I'm here to keep you safe. You're still good. We're having a hard time. And I think on the crying one too, right? Like that's hard and kids have big feelings, but like leaning in and affirming will often make it go away quicker. And I think that's the internal voice that I think a lot of us have when we see the crying and the whining and we just want it to stop because we're overwhelmed and have things to do, right? It's scary. It's scary to lean in because you think, when will it end? (laughs) How long is this going to take? And I don't have time for it. But honestly, when you lean in, it often resolves quicker. Um, But it's a a vulnerable and scary thing to do. No, that's really interesting because I I agree with you. And and I feel like for whatever reason, it's always during the day while I'm working. And she opens my door and I see her coming in and she has these big alligator tears too. They're huge drops. And it's just, this alarm is going off in my head. Like I have a call starting two minutes, like, I want to literally scream, get out. Right. But I'm like, what happened? Yeah. And then I worry if I feed into it too much and I'm perpetuating it. So that's, that's really great to kind of just lean into it, affirm them, tell them they're safe, resolve it and try to wrap it up. One thing I used to do when my kids were little, because again, they were so little and so close that it was like, we had these screaming, crying toddlers all the time. And it was like, they would yell and scream over each other. And I would whisper 
So I would talk to them in a whisper. Well, first I used to scream and then that didn't work. And so then I would talk to them in a normal voice and that didn't work. And then I would whisper and they would actually stop crying because they couldn't hear me. So they would, mm-hmm. they would have to like listen for what I was saying. And then I'd be like, let's calm down, you know, in a really soft, like calming, almost like a zombie voice, but just very like, okay, we got this. So that definitely worked when they were little and you were making me rethink, maybe I should pull that into these, you know, elementary school years as well. Totally. We have just a couple more minutes, but one thing that's been going through my mind, this whole conversation, and I'm sure listeners are thinking this too, which talking about how we grew up, no social media, right? So how is that playing a role into this positivity, self-affirmation, you know, especially my kids, eight and nine, all of their friends have cell phones. They all have Instagram. They all have social media. They have TikTok accounts. We do not. And, you know, I'm telling them maybe I'll get them a gab phone in the next couple of years, but they're already really feeling that like, why don't we have this? And that just scares me so much. But in terms of really the the positive affirmations and, and the self-love, like how does social media play into that now? Oof, that's a big question <laughs> with only a few minutes left. I mean, I think we as parents are also really concerned about this. I think the way that kids interact with each other now and like going back to the the moment that was really hard for you around being a preteen, feeling like your body was different, that drive to be the same and to belong becomes so important, like feels like life or death in the body, like truly does feel that way for kids. And so as they get to those places and then are on social media, you know, they're going to be facing these, these challenges. So, I mean, I don't think I have a super good answer for it other than kids are going to likely experience that they're going to be exposed to that. A lot of these platforms make it easy to fall into a comparison, making kids feel like less than, or not feeling like their differences are accepted. And I think as parents in these moments, right, like taking, taking time to break down like what social media is about, like media, social media literacy early is probably really, really important and understanding what's real, what's not real, you know, and how we connect. But at the same time, I just, it's such an overwhelming question because I feel like the world is changing so fast and our experience of friendship and how we built connections and relationships is just completely different now for kids. So I think it's a real question. How do, how do we keep the connections that are important to helping us grow in a way that's grounded and in empathy and love for each other and ourselves in a world where we're connecting through the computer, we're connecting online and kids are in the forefront of that. So how can we as adults be there to support them? It's, an interesting question. I just had such a scary thought because if we look at social media, I mean, Facebook launched around 2005 and Instagram was about 2012. So kids who were maybe around 10 at that age, who are going to become adults, you know, not that long here, are they going to be saying my parents, us, right? Mm -hmm. us, They didn't have tools to like coach us through this and be having the same conversation that we're having. Our parents didn't have the emotional tools their parents didn't ask, like we didn't have the social media tools. So maybe it's something with every generation that's different, but I am so thankful for your time. We're going to jump into a super quick um, fire round. So don't get nervous, just a couple of fun questions. So our audience can get to know you guys a little bit better. First question is what are you currently binging on TV? 
Uh, I'm currently watching Inventing Anna on Netflix. Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. I am watching Little Fires Everywhere. I'm late to the game, but it is so good. (laughs) That, I read that book. That's a great one too. Um, Okay, and the next one is, what is the most recent book you've read? Ooh, well, time with finding enough time for books. I feel like I just like, I've been reading a lot of kind of therapeutic books, one on relationships called you are the one you've been waiting for. And it's amazing. But then my, my favorite kind of like book that I've read recently is untamed by with Glennon Doyle. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I feel like what I have time for now has been like pouring, um, again, not a fun book, but really interesting, um, called brainstorm by Dan Siegel. It's for understanding the adolescent pre-adolescent and adolescent mind. So, um, this is where all that information around, um, how it feels for kids and what that looks like as they move into the preteen and teen years is coming from, from Dan Siegel's work as well. I love that. Okay. What is your go-to productivity app? I'm like, I didn't know there were productivity apps. <laughs> I'm like, I'm Slack. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. We use Slack daily <laughs> and yeah, I would definitely agree with Slack. Uh, I feel like my mind went to insight timer <laughs> because I, as I like start to burn out, I go and do a uh, little mini meditations and allow myself to have a break and just do a meditation. And I might like doze off for 20 minutes and I allow that for myself. And it's amazing because I am much more productive once I wake up. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And okay. Last question. What is your go-to de-stressor? I'm a combination of Peloton and meditation on insight timer or calm. Yeah, I would say again, the, the meditation insight timer, calm also, and, and then just like binging shows, like getting into bed right after the kids and watching shows and like laying on a heating pad. That's like heaven to me. (laughs) A heating pad. I love it. I'm going to have to check out this insight timer for sure. Okay. You guys, thank you so much for coming on. You have a, a discount code for the listeners. Yes, we do. Manual 10 for 10% off all of the products on slumberkins.com. Okay. And everyone listening, this is amazing. They don't ever really do sales. So definitely take advantage of that. Thank you so much, Kaylee and Kelly, for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having us. It was such a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much.